Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The Law Enforcement Today Show is brought to you in part by Transformations Treatment Center. Many are using the term epidemic to describe the current problem of drug and or alcohol abuse in the United States. Virtually everyone we know has been negatively impacted by this problem. Yet for so many that are experiencing the devastating effects of drug and or alcohol abuse, they don't know who to turn to for help. Who can we trust to care for our loved ones? Transformations Treatment Center is one of the most respected, ethical, and professional drug and alcohol treatment centers in the world with a strong focus on individualized care, offering a wide range of holistic, specialized, and medically supervised treatment programs. We know that many of you have questions. Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers. 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Or go online to transformationstreatment.center. Calling us from Washington State, we have Molly High on the phone. Molly, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. This is a very difficult conversation to have. Um, I I reached out to Molly. Uh, She had posted something about the death of her husband, Phil. Uh, Phil is a career law enforcement officer, and, and he died by suicide. And we talked a bit, and Molly agreed to come on the show to talk about what led up to it, and unfortunately, what's happened since. Uh, Molly, again, thank you. It's a very difficult conversation to have. It is. <laughs> it, it, and I don't know how to have it. It needs to be had. Yeah, it does need to be had, and you'd think that after all these years of, of police work and doing radio and doing a particular law enforcement show, I'd be more comfortable. This is a conversation I just am not good at, so if I seem to stumble on my words, that's why. And part of me, I, I've told people this before on the show, part of me, I'll give you an example. We have rules and regulations we call general orders and things you're supposed to do. And if an officer was killed in line of duty, we knew the things we're supposed to do. However, when we had the, the spouse's survivor walk by, like in the hospital, I'd want to like claw my way into the wall, make a hole, because I was afraid to talk to him. I didn't know what to say. I was always afraid of saying the wrong thing. That's understandable. And someone made a good point, a guest we had in the show, and they said, the truth is, you can't say anything to make it worse. The worst has already happened. Right. And that's the situation with you and Phil. Before we get into the details of Phil's death, uh, tell us uh, about what kind of guy he was in his law enforcement career. In his law enforcement career, he was extremely dedicated. I absolutely could not have imagined him in any other career um, up until a couple years before he passed when he decided that he was done and he needed out um, and was working on his, his second career. Any opportunity that they would give him to go to training, to learn something new, he was on it. He had his finger in absolutely everything. I mean, he went to 
Atlanta for, I don't even remember what it was, but it was something for Homeland Security. Um, he was a boating instructor and uh, he patrolled the, the lakes and canals of, of the area where we live. Um, he was an arson investigator. I mean, he rode with Burlington Northern to figure out how to stop a, a, a runaway train. He was a collision expert. He was their accreditation manager. He just had his, any, anything that he could possibly learn, he wanted to learn. And he wanted to, to continue to to be more useful and to, you know, be that, that go-to guy. He was a negotiator for the, um, the area SWAT team. He sounds like he was an all-in kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And how long was he in, in law enforcement? How long was his total career? His total career was 21 years. Um, the department that he was with when he passed, the day of his service would have been his 10-year anniversary with them. And he was up for retirement, you said. He was already starting to plan his second career. Uh, he was getting his master's degree in counseling psychology. He was very passionate about working with first responders and military with PTSD and very passionate about lowering the suicide rate. Um, He was supposed to graduate in May and um, his retirement date was February 29th. That was his plan and he died on January 14th. Wow, it's heartbreaking. When I say my condolences, I say I'm sorry. It just sounds so inadequate and it just feels uncomfortable. It's like... Part of me, the police part of me, wants to do something to make it better. And I know I can't. But all that I can do is is provide a platform for people like you to tell your stories, as horrific as they may be. So hopefully we can possibly save the life of someone else in law enforcement or out. We know that the law enforcement suicide problem has been a, a tremendous problem for a very long time. Your husband knew it. He was studying to, to try to work towards preventing it. It was a problem when I was a rookie in 1980. We know that our military veterans have a horrendous suicide problem. Our other first responders have a horrendous suicide problem. And and most of it is linked to, or I should say a lot of it is linked to uh, symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Was that an issue for your husband, Phil? That was absolutely what led to his suicide. Um, I had actually had him in a PTSD uh, treatment program. It was just a four-day one. Um, he returned four day, or sorry, two days before he passed away. And at the time, I was working to get him into a 30-day program. Um, he admitted that he needed a little more. He, he needed to do more work when he came back. They essentially opened up a bunch of wounds and sent him home. Yeah. And he he knew that that was not sufficient, and he needed more. And I had been work the day that he died. I had been working on that all day to get him into something longer term, uh, into specifically PTSD for for first responders, which is the program that I had had him in for those four days. And four days, I agree, is not enough. If someone has issues, severe issues, and I personally believe that anybody that does a career as a first responder for a long enough period of time, they're going to have issues. And when I say that, I don't mean that as a negative. I don't mean that as, it's, it's, I treat this just like uh, orthopedic injuries. That's the way I look at it nowadays, that it's inevitable. You're going to get injured physically and you're going to get injured mentally. Um, but that doesn't mean that that there's things that we, that, it's, that someone else has to find a solution. There's things that we have to do. 
uh, this right. person is afflicted. There's things that I, that I have to do to make sure I get better and stay better. And I never wanted him to go to that that prog- that four day program, but that was what I could get him to agree to. He was very much in denial that there was an issue. So at that time, I was willing to take anything that he was willing to do. Baby steps, so to speak. Correct. And when he came back and said, "No, I need more," I you know I was like, "Okay, great. We're we're where we need to be." I just didn't have enough time to get him there. And it, from what I recall from our conversation, it's not like. Well, first of all, he was studying for his master's degree in this field. He had the education. He already knew about this sort of stuff. And you've had significant training in your background about this as well, correct? I do have my master's degree in counseling psychology as well. Part I'm getting at is, and this is not a negative. uh, I'm sure Molly knows from our prior conversations, but people listening, it's not a negative. It, It just goes to prove a point that no matter how much information you have, no matter how much intelligence you have, no matter how much willpower you have, that's not going to be enough to solve the problem. We all need, those of us who are afflicted by these issues need help. And one of the hardest things to do is put out that hand and say, hey, I do need help. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click like and follow Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu. Or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Molly High, calling us from Washington State. Molly's husband, Phil, was a career law enforcement officer, and and there's really no other way to to say it. He died by suicide. We'll talk about some of the organizations, in particular at Blue Help, that's doing so much great work to try to help raise awareness and also make sure that these these people who died by suicide, who served us so violently, are, are remembered and honored. Also working very diligently to prevent this as much as possible prior to going to break we started talking about your background phil's background he's preparing for his second career uh, leaving law enforcement he's going to be working towards a mental health for first responders for law enforcement officers especially when it goes to post-traumatic stress disorder and you talked about him being an all-in kind of guy when it came to his law enforcement career where did you see a change in his behavior and, and what was that you know, after his death, I, I had to really sit there and, and try and backtrack myself and, and try and figure out when I think things started going wrong. And I I can go back as far as four years when I started noticing a change. And that was when he decided on this second career. And he, he was done with law enforcement. He wanted out. 
he became very focused on his schooling. He had to have straight A's. That was just his personality. So when I started seeing the changes, I originally believed it was just stress. The program was extremely difficult. I went through it myself to be working full-time and doing school full-time on deadlines when when your work schedule doesn't necessarily allow you to, you know, to, to make those deadlines. So he was, you know, having to work extra hard, you know, on his days off to, to get the things done that were due on his days that he was working. And I originally just attributed it all to just stress. Like I said, he expressed his desire to be done with law enforcement and, and, um, it almost like sounds like it was he was at the point of enduring it at that point, and he just wanted it over. You're absolutely correct. He was just enduring it until he couldn't endure it any longer. He started withdrawing. Uh, he would go into his office and stay in there, and he would take his meals in there. He would come out to get what he needed and go back in. And he, over the years, just continued to isolate himself even more. Um, our conversations ceased. Um, he was extremely grumpy. Um, he wasn't sleeping. He wasn't eating. His whole personality changed. He was such a happy-go-lucky guy, and all of a sudden he was just a recluse that didn't have anything positive to say, couldn't couldn't make a joke. Um, and I know it was gradual over those years. Um, I think I'm more remembering the very end, maybe the last year, when it was really bad. But again, I just I kept looking to it saying, okay, he wants to be done with his job. He wants to graduate. And so when these things happen this year, you know, everything's going to be fine. He's going to be back to his old self. And I was incorrect. I didn't recognize the signs. And actually what made me recognize that there was something wrong, um, back in October, I, I broke my arm in a, in a bad way and ended up having surgery. And Phil stayed home with me for six weeks. And after a couple of days, I noticed that he had changed. He was back to his old self. He was cracking jokes. He was being, you know, empathic. He was conversating with me. He was sleeping. He was eating. He was a different person. He was the person that I married 14 years ago, not the one I'd been living with. And I remember telling him, I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad to have you back. And when he was supposed to go back to work after those six weeks, he completely flipped his switch again. And he was dry heaving. He wasn't sleeping. He, he ended up calling in sick his first two shifts that he was supposed to go back because he was just having such a reaction to it. And that's when I was confronted with the fact that there was something wrong here. There was something very wrong. And he, was, he was physically ill. Physically ill. And this is a man who spent, at that point, what, 18, 19 years in law enforcement? I'm, I'm, I'm talking, this was, this was three weeks before he died. Okay, so at that point, he was over 20 years in law enforcement. And mm-hmm. it, it, I'm, not, I'm saying this because it's not like he was new to this. It's not like, and here's one of the things that I take great exception to, Molly, is Hollywood will portray someone in the movies, whether it be police, military, doesn't matter, that they're fine they they love their life they love their job something horrible happened and the next day it's like a light switch and for many people i talked to on a show it was far more gradual they didn't see it until it became the lights were totally off right 
you said in your I, conversation, it's like, I didn't notice at first. As I think back now, now I see the warning signs, but I didn't notice then because they were subtle. Well, and when you live with someone, I mean, it's kind of like um, when you have a child that's growing up and you see somebody after two months and they say, oh my gosh, they've gotten so tall and you didn't notice because you see them every day. Right. Um, Same in the mood swings. So it's like, oh, they're moody today. I'll just leave them alone. Uh, I'll, I'll go do something else. Like I said, I thought it was, I thought it was stress and I'm, I am, I'm trained. I should have seen it. Well, shoulda, coulda, woulda is something we always say. If I, I, if I could have, I would have. Obviously, I don't say that in, in a, a way to demean you. I'm saying that because I'm just going from my own experience. If I could have handled things differently in the late 80s, my marriage wouldn't have ended and I wouldn't have spent years away from my children. But I wasn't able to. Then this goes back to that conversation about needing help from other people who are proficient and know what they're doing especially those who've been through this right and those are the ones that can help we can want to all day long we can love someone all day long and and that's not enough to to make them healthier no it's not and the sad truth is if if we could have i'm sure you would have had him snapped out of it a long time ago was there an incident or something in his career that he expressed became troublesome for him afterwards meaning there are times i could tell you i was a different guy afterwards um he had many incidents i think he had more than his fair share um i I, there was not one specific one and of course he was not going to be one to say you know this really got to me i i had a few moments with him where he took some calls pretty hard um but I think it was it was more of a, a cumulative thing. It right. just everything kind of came to a came to a head finally, and just you know one big ball of trauma that he couldn't sort through. That makes it perfect sense. Selected. We're going to take a short break. Uh, before we go to break, I've always taught a long time ago by a guest on a show that when you go into police work, a great analogy is they give you a state of the art, top of the line backpack. And every call you go on, you pick up a stone and put in that backpack. Some are very small, some are very big. But what's happening is that backpack gets full and you put in one small stone and it all breaks and that person is devastated. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those suffering from substance abuse problems, the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformation Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. 
888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Back to our conversation, Molly High on the Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley. Molly's husband, Phil, was a career law enforcement officer, and just a matter of weeks before he was due to retire, he died by suicide. It was driven a great deal by post-traumatic stress. And Molly, before we had a break, earlier you had said you'd had him in a four-day treatment program for post-traumatic stress, and he felt he needed more, and you were trying to make that happen on that day. Was it safe to say, in retrospect, there was a crisis point and you probably didn't know it? Oh, the, when I, he went to the, the four-day program, I knew we were in crisis. Yeah. Um, when he came back, he was excited about life and he wanted to get better and he wanted to change things. And But he also knew that that was insufficient. And the day that he died, I knew when I was trying to get him to choose the program... I told him this was a Tuesday, and I said, I need to get you on a plane this weekend because we are in crisis. We don't have time to not do this. Um, We were definitely in a crisis point. Yeah. Uh, Without going further, I I can tell that's um, a very touchy area to talk about, so we're going to move in a different direction. One of the things that I just tell you from my own experience is that with this cumulative, all this trauma over the years of my police career, I was fine for a very long time. I was, I, I loved my job. I loved what I did. I still do. I don't like what it did to me. And eventually it came a point where some things happened and I was no longer the same guy. And no matter how hard I tried to be that happy-go-lucky guy that was you know, fun-loving and in a great marriage and everything else, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't go back. Sleeping was a real issue. Eating was an issue. Irritability was an issue. Mm-hmm. Isolating. All that stuff became overwhelming to the point where it cost me pretty much everything. But I'm one of the lucky ones because I'm here to have the conversation with you on the phone. And and sad to say, your husband, Phil, is not. Mm-hmm. And it's, this shouldn't be happening, but it's still going on. What do you think we need to do different that we're not doing now to, to maybe get to that next level and prevent some of these? Well, originally, you know, I, Phil and I both believed that counseling was the answer. But I'm realizing now that we can have a counselor on every corner, but until we break the stigma, we raise awareness. They don't need counselors as much as they need to be recognized. They need to be validated. I don't want to just speak to the people at risk. I want to speak to the people that are around those people at risk. Um, more than likely, it's going to be recognized at home before it's recognized anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is Phil's coworkers knew something was up with him. And while he isolated himself, they withdrew as well. And that was a big sign. But there were, there were two people that I lived with. I lived with my husband and the professional. And if the two sides could have come together, if someone would have told me what was happening at work and I could have matched that up with what was happening at home, 
I may have realized earlier that we had a big problem. So the spouses, family, and friends of those at risk, the coworkers of those at risk, the administration that's supposed to lead these people at risk, they all need to be aware. They need to be looking out. They need to be taking care of their people. And I agree. I think they need to be more proactive. One of the things that I'm significantly older than you, Molly, which is a good thing. I never thought I'd be this old in my entire life, but here I am. (laughs) I grew up in the Vietnam era, and many of the kids I went to to school with, grade school, they had fathers who were POWs for many, many years. And Mm -hmm. and some were, let's say, as, as missing in action. They didn't know their official status until the war was over. And when these, they started coming home, they didn't have all the resources we have today. And one of the things that they did, uh, the Vietnam veterans, is they, they took the ball and chain and it kind of ran with themselves and said, we're going to be proactive. We're going to start talking to each other and not be afraid to step on each other's toes when they're not doing okay, when it's obvious. And I think that's something that's missing from the equation from our, our first responders or particular law enforcement. When we had in Baltimore, we called a signal 13 is when officer needs assistance. They put a, a unique mm-hmm. tone across citywide dispatchers and everybody dropped what they're doing and ran to help them. When an officer needs assistance with this, all too often we, cl- we, we, we turtle up and we don't want to talk to each other. We're afraid. I, I don't want, I don't, I'll mind my business. I don't want to upset them. Mm-hmm. And what really needs the exact opposite of what you were saying is we need to be more proactive and end this thing and start having these conversations. Absolutely. And the, and the spouses, you say, hey, my husband's not doing well, and, and call like a guy like me. But when you make that call, then it upsets the apple cart. Mm-hmm. If you call like a boss, if you call another coworker and say, Jay's not doing well, we're having problems at home, I think it's post-traumatic stress related, can you talk to them? And they find out that oftentimes can, can be a precursor of making things much worse. Absolutely. It happened in my case. So that's why I don't know the answers. I know there's plenty of clinical people that have great ideas. But a funny thing is when I listen to, to clinical people that don't have experience in trauma in law enforcement mm-hmm. and don't have experience dealing with the, the after effects of trauma in law enforcement, I tend not to listen very much. Mm-hmm. So when you talk, no, I'm listening to every word you say. I agree with that. Um, that's, we were fortunate. He was a, in an officer-involved shooting. Um, we were fortunate to work with a psychologist that was specifically for law enforcement, and she was a retired law enforcement officer. And that was the only reason why we could be forthcoming with her um, regarding what happened, because she understood it. And she'd worked with many people that had been through the same thing. It's funny, if you bring that up, I had a guest on a show a long, long time ago who's a retired police officer who was in the upper Pacific Northwest who's now a psychiatrist, and I believe her name was Stephanie Kahn. Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell? No, I have not. Okay. Heard of her, no. She shared a lot of great insight about exactly what you're talking about. I'm glad you had that, but even with that, Here's one of the things I say all the time. We are, we've gotten pretty good about the big deals, the, the traumatic critical incidents that they call them. But where we seem to drop the ball is the everyday grind of what our law enforcement officers go through, experience, and see. Mm-hmm. And that's not the one. We don't, we don't talk about that. 
Well, the old school is, you know, you know what you signed up for, and if this bothers you, you're in the wrong career. And I think that the old school needs to retire, and young blood needs to come in and say, hey, we're going to change the climate here. Well, that's that's great if you if you don't mind people leaving every after they got two years on the job, which is part of the problem we have now. But when you have people that have 15, 20 years on, this is definitely job related, and 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 this is going back to the whole injury thing. We can't throw away our wounded because they're injured on the job. It's not fair, and it's not right. And to say that you know what you signed up for, we'll we'll talk about it when we come back. I can just tell you this. I thought I knew what I signed up for until I got into the trenches and actually wound up putting on that badge and policing in Baltimore and found out I had no idea what was in store for me. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles that is our facebook page law enforcement today radio show be sure to click like and follow if you want to be a guest on a law enforcement today show just go to our website and contact me through there our website is letradioshow.com that's letradioshow.com this is the law enforcement today show we are talking with molly high her husband, Phil High, career law enforcement officer, died by suicide. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by special guest Molly High, calling us from the state of Washington. And, and there's really no easy way to say it. Molly's husband, Phil, career law enforcement officer, died by suicide shortly before he's due to retire and start his second career. And his second career was going to be devoted to helping law enforcement officers and other first responders dealing with post-traumatic stress and the trauma that comes from the job, which it's not ironic I think that maybe he was motivated by what he was struggling with to do this. And I wish there was a different ending. I really do. I, I hate when Hollywood comes up with all these happy endings. These, the Hallmark Channel movies where, oh, it's wonderful and everybody's happily ever after. It's not the reality of what happens a lot of times, especially in situations like this. For example, your situation. Where are you at now? Where are you at in life? And what has happened as a result of his death? Well, it's been 10 weeks, so he killed himself in our home. Um, my son and I were both there, and um, my son called 911 while I attempted CPR, but it was not effective. He was he was gone. We left the home that night. That had been our home for 13 years. Uh, my son grew up there, and we lived in hotels for three weeks until we found a little rental house. We have gotten rid of almost all of our belongings except for a few personal things. We are still in the same little town that we were in. Um, so my, because my son graduates next year, it's important to, to stay here and see that through with him. But we've lost just about everything. 
we lost our home. We lost, I lost my husband. My son lost his dad and we had to give up our pets. We have no financial stability at the moment. Um, he had stopped paying his life insurance three years ago, which I did not know. Um, I was denied all benefits. Um, I get a small bit of his retirement every month to live on. And now that we're in this crisis, I am not working. And I don't know when that's going to change. Um, we've lost a lot. And we go through each day finding the few things that we still have control over and really capitalizing and celebrating those things. And we're finding our new normal and that's not easy. And being in a small town, everyone knows your story. It's not easy for me to go out in public. Um, I was self quarantining long before it was required. All sense of stability is gone, correct? Correct. And and it's, I hate to say this, people say it's not about the money. Well, when you have no money to pay your bills and no income coming in or not enough, it, it does become about that. So that was a drastic thing. The life insurance, which I'm no expert, but quite often won't be paid out with suicide. That's not available. Has the department been there for you as spouse of someone who died? No, not at all. It took the police chief a week to even call me afterwards. And most of the interactions that I've had with anyone there were initiated by me, and it was all practical things like, who do I call for this? When can I get his stuff? You know, it, no, they, they have not, not been there for, for me and my son at all. And I'm, I'm not defending them, trust me, when I say this. But when I tell you that I'm so afraid of saying the wrong thing to make things worse that I would not say anything at all. And everybody I've talked to, whether their spouse died in line of duty or a sibling or a child or whatever it was or is by suicide, they said, please don't isolate us and don't ignore us. And the hardest thing in the world to do is is just be there and talk about fishing or talk about football or talk about something other than what was what happened because it's like the 800-pound gorilla in a room. It's inescapable. And I understand that, but I feel that had he died in the line of duty, I would have gotten a much different response. Yeah, you would have. He would have been honored and celebrated. You would have been honored and celebrated. They would, at least for a period of time, have blanketed you in, in support and been there for your every need. And this is part of the problem I have with us as a family, that when it's death by suicide, and so much of that is driven by what the, that officer went through in the line of duty, that I don't know if it's fear, I don't know if it's acknowledging that this could happen to me too, I don't know, and by the way, if this could happen to your husband, Phil, I'm not immune from this either. I don't know if it's that kind of fear, I don't know if it's anger, resentment, or just want to sweep it under the rug. I don't know what caused this. Maybe it's all the above, but it's got to end. It does. One of the things that that Karen Solomon always says, and I agree 100% from um, Blue Help. By the way, you can get more information there. I believe their website is bluehelp.org. It's truly not about how they died. It's how they lived. 
that we need to celebrate and we need to honor them. It doesn't mean we say it's okay they died by suicide. I don't want people to get that wrong. But we still got to honor the way your husband Phil lived and the service and sacrifice he did and the service and sacrifice that you and your son did as well because anybody that's married can't do this job by themselves. They got to have support at home. Mm-hmm. I don't know there's any resolution in our conversation that we can say that's it's it's fresh. This is still new. I've had guests on the show that, that their spouses died by suicide years before and it was still difficult to talk about. And I'll be honest with you. Uh, my father died from cancer a long time ago. And it, I, I say this all the time. It doesn't get easier to deal with. It doesn't get easier to talk about. I just get more used to it. It's still very painful. Uh, And that loss is still as if it was not that long ago. So the the fact that you were willing to talk about this uh, is admirable. I also got a lot of inspiration out of you saying that you and your son, the efforts you're going through to get to your new normal, that's the inspiration I think so many of us can use. This is a horrible situation you've been through. Your whole life's changed. Your home's gone. Your financial situation's changed. You were just recuperating from a horrible broken arm. Are, are you working now? No, I'm not. Um, I lost my job when I when I broke my arm back in October and was just getting to the point where I was looking at going back to work when, when Phil died and recovering from that and trying to move and do all the things they needed to do. I was just getting ready to get back out there again when the coronavirus took over. Yeah. And so there's, there's no jobs available where I live. Um, the town is shut down. Um, so I don't know when, when that status is going to change. So you focus on the things that I heard you say it's loud and clear. You focus on the things that you have some control over that you can do something about. Absolutely. Cause We've right now there's so much that you so can't much. do anything about. You can't make the jobs that aren't there. You can't make the coronavirus go away. You can't bring your husband back. You can't resolve this scenario. What is the one thing that you try to focus on daily that helps you get to your new normal? That we're still here. And I have something to do now. I need to speak out about this. I can't let his death be in vain. I'm going to carry on his passion just in a different way. And that means doing what I'm doing right now, speaking out about it trying to make others aware of what to look for, what resources are out there. And by the way, you get a lot of information online at bluehelp.org. That's Karen Solomon's organization. Uh, have you been in touch with Karen? I am actually in in their Facebook group. I've been in a lot of uh, close contact with Karen. She's amazing. The group is amazing. They're phenomenal um, people. Very, very supportive. Uh, if I have to go through this, I couldn't ask for a better, I'm sorry that we came together this way, but I couldn't ask for a better group of people to be in my court right now. Molly, I appreciate you so much coming on the show. Thank you very much, and please stay in touch. Okay, thank you for having me. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. Let's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. 
I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. Got another great guest heading your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.